Do summer projects your way with Memorial Day savings from The Home Depot. With free delivery on over 2 million items, you can make the most of summer grilling and dig into gardening. Plus, get same-day delivery on thousands of products like power tools and storage to tackle any last-minute garage project. Summer your way with Memorial Day savings from The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Today's AFC Championship game between the Chiefs and the Cincinnati Bengals is about history. That's why they made the game four quarters. No, that's right. Got you, buddy. Got you. When we score, we're going for two. Oh, yeah, I like that. Shotgun snap to Burrow. Throws it into the end zone for Chase. He leaps. He's got it. Shotgun snap. Burrow throws for Taylor. Wide open. He's got it. It's a two-point conversion. And the Bengals have climbed back from a 21-3 deficit. Mahomes, deep downfield for the Cheetah. It's deflected and intercepted by Von Bell. Now the Bengals will turn to the rookie kicker, Evan McPherson. The kick is up. Hit. The Cincinnati Bengals are headed to the Super Bowl for the third time in franchise history. It is as good a turnaround as has ever happened in the history of the National Football League. What a moment that was last year in the AFC Championship when Joe Burrow, a year removed from a torn ACL, goes into Arrowhead, spots them 18 points, and then comes back and makes it even worse. I mean, the easiest loss to deal with is where you just get your doors blown off from the get-go like the Giants last week when you never were in it. It's just go ahead and go to bed. Then it's the hard-fought back-and-forth game that – you know, you, 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 who knows who's going to win? It's drama. It's hanging in the balance. That's hard to deal with. The worst to deal with is when you've got the damn thing won. It's over. It's coronation time. Bring out the the, the crown, and and uh, you find out the hard way the other team is going to be wearing it. That was something last year, and Peter, it, it just it makes me even more amazed by this this other person that Joe Burrow morphs into when it's time for playoff games. We never knew he was going to be that way until he got in that spot. He did it last year. He's doing it this year. And the question now is, can he do it again at Arrowhead Stadium? Here's the amazing thing I think about Joe Burrow. Mike, if you think about it, uh, you know, we're talking about in the last, I guess it'd be now 56 
the last 56 weeks, he's played Kansas City three times. The first time he played him was late in the regular season in 2021, actually early January 2022. Completed 30 of 39, four touchdowns, no interceptions, beats Kansas City 34-31. Next time he plays him, completes 60% of his passes, two touchdowns, one interception, nice performance, Bengals 27, Kansas City 24. Last time he plays him, uh, in early December this year, again, 27-24, the Bengals win. And he has another efficient day, completes 81% of his passes. And so now in these three games, eight touchdowns, one turnover, and he's 3-0. and And I asked this question, not rhetorically, but factually, if the Cincinnati Bengals win this game at Arrowhead on Sunday and beat Kansas City for the fourth time in 13 months, my question is, who's the best quarterback in football, Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow? I, I mean, I think you're going to have to say Joe Burrow. With all due respect, because look, I think Patrick Mahomes uh, one day is going to go up on the Mount Rushmore. And I think Joe Burrow has a heck of a chance to do that. What he's done winning three road playoff games. Joe Burrow in the last 54 weeks has won more playoff games on the road than the Bengals won in their 55 year history before this season. And I I just, this is a, or before last season, excuse me. At some point, we have to start to think about the greatness of this quarterback that we're seeing. Somebody from Pro Football Focus told me the other day that Burrow's game in Buffalo was as close to a perfect game as a player can play. And he did it basically in a snow and sleet storm. I, I don't know, Mike. I think we're watching... You know, two generations later, I think we're watching the birth of a Joe Namath here. And, you know, we're looking for the next Peyton Manning-Tom Brady rivalry as well. And it doesn't become a rivalry until one of the guys, or until both of the guys have won at least one. It's kind of lopsided for now. That's, That's what raises the stakes for this one. For Patrick Mahomes, this is a chance to make it a true rivalry versus I I remember when Penn State and West Virginia used to play every year. West Virginia viewed it as a rivalry. Penn State viewed it as, you know, just a little loose lint that has made its way onto their shoulder. And uh, because we never won. We never won. It was like 29 years between victories. And when, when 1984, I was at that game, when West Virginia finally beat Penn State with Jeff Hosteller at quarterback, I mean, the, the, the whole state, burned all couches in the vicinity. Uh, So it's becoming that way for the Chiefs. That's why this game's so important. You you throw – can you imagine the Bengals going into Arrowhead Stadium with a Super Bowl berth on the line two straight years and winning both times? Unbelievable. The closest comparison I can think of is, you know, when, when the Steelers and Oilers had a thing going. 
The Oilers kept having to go back to Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh kept beating them in the AFC Championship. This is the road team coming in and consistently winning. That's what's at stake here. And that's what makes it so fascinating, because on one hand, you would look at this and say, this is exactly the game Patrick Mahomes wins. This is exactly the game that he shows up, and he reminds everyone that he's the best quarterback in the NFL. And then you remember, wait a minute, this is Joe Burrow, who just doesn't care about that, who seems to get better when those stakes get higher, when the drama increases. And, and that's why I had a hell of a time. I wish we didn't have to pick winners this weekend. I'd like to just enjoy the games without trying to be proven right or fearful of proven wrong. I got no idea who's going to win this game, and that's the best possible game to watch as a fan. You know, I was thinking this week, Mike, that Joe Burrow on the road now, you know, in the last two playoff years, he's beaten Patrick Mahomes on the road. He's beaten Josh Allen on the road. And I want you just to think back to, and look, I remember it very well. I want you to think back to the only college football game that I watched in 2019. I think you know the one I'm talking about. LSU at Alabama. Joe Burrow going into Bryant-Denny Stadium. And I remember vividly, His first pass of the game, he threw it like 25 yards downfield, a seam route that was perfectly thrown right in the hands. I forget, maybe Justin Jefferson, maybe Jamar Chase, I forget. But that was his first pass of the game. And a couple of months later, before the draft, I got Joe Brady on the phone, okay? And Joe Brady obviously was his coach his last year at LSU you know he was his guru he went from the Saints to LSU and then got you know whatever went to Caroline after that but I'll never forget I asked him I said Joe that first pass that Joe Burrow threw in Brian Denny Stadium the biggest game of the year the biggest game in maybe in years you know, LSU going in there as whatever the, the odds were. But the first pass he threw was sort of deep, intermediate to deep down the field. And and I said, don't, when you go into a game like this, doesn't Burrow, don't Burrow and you talk about, hey, listen, let's get a couple of completions to get comfortable and to take the emotion out of here. And he laughed and he goes, Joe Burrow doesn't need to get comfortable. He never has. In no game has he ever said, hey, let's get a couple easy completions to start this. He goes, he was going for the jugular on the first throw of the game. And that, to me, is is who Joe Burrow is. Now, you know, amazingly, he's beaten two great quarterbacks on the road, one of them decisively. Obviously, the Mahomes one last year, was a a close game, a field goal game. He beat Josh Allen decisively. And, you know, to me, that is the guy who I want. I want a guy who almost likes playing on the road. You know what the 49ers used to say about playing on the road back in their glory days, Mike? I remember this vividly. Bill Walsh would walk into the locker room and say, men, 45 of us, that's it. 
45 players and a coaching staff. That's it. Against a city, against a state, against a region, against millions of people. It's just us against the world. And the players got to just love that. They loved going and sticking the proverbial middle finger at at the authority figures and, and all that and saying, we're better than you. And I think Joe Burrow loves that too. This conversation is a prime example for me of the water's edge of analytics. This is where statistics and past performance and next-gen stats go out the window, and it comes down to what's inside the individual quarterback when it's time to go out into a difficult situation, season on the line, what do you do? Do you make that big throw? Do you miss that big throw? Doesn't matter what you did in the regular season. Doesn't matter what you did on first and 10 with 10 minutes left in the second quarter when nobody really cared. What matters is what you do with the game that has the season riding on it, with the drive that has the season riding on it, with the throw that has the season riding on it. And we've seen time and again, some guys embrace that moment and bend it their way like Joe Burrow. There have been others, but Joe Burrow is the one who does it now more than anyone and better than anyone. And then there's the guy that, and I'm not going to name names. I'm really not going to name names. I probably don't need to name names. But there's the guys who will have these great regular seasons and touchdowns high and interceptions low, and it's time to go out and make your legacy. And there's just something, something that just rattles them enough inside where they, they just can't do it. Burrow can And we don't know. That's the thing. We never know who can do it until they do it. All the scouting, all the money, all the time that's spent trying to get inside these guys and what makes them tick. You don't know what they're going to do in that moment. And maybe they don't even know, Peter. That's what I love about these kinds of games and this kind of pressure. It doesn't matter what you do from week one to week 18. What matters is what you do in this game. Hey, Mike, Mike, you know what? And I know we're going to talk about the NFC game a little bit later, but how perfect is it when you look at Joe Burrow and you say, well, you know, everybody could have seen he was great. Look at 2019, where, you know, in the playoffs in 2019, um, 16 touchdowns, no interceptions, uh, and and sweeps three games. So, I mean, everybody can see that. It's why the Dolphins, reportedly, offered five ones for Joe Burrow to the Bengals to move up just four spots in the draft or five spots in the draft, whatever it was. And Bengals said no. And as Mike Brown told me last year, he said it wouldn't have mattered what they offered. It it literally would not have mattered what they offered. We were taking Joe Burrow. That was our guy because you don't win without a quarterback. The Bengals are going to be relevant for the next 12 years, period. They're going to be relevant for as long as Joe Burrow takes snaps from center in the Queen City. And let me just make one other point. You know why there is nothing in sports harder to quantify, harder to scout, harder to find, harder to figure out than who is going to be a great quarterback in the NFL? And great, I I shouldn't, who's going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL? I'll tell you why. You know, 31 teams passed on Brock Purdy seven times. The 32nd team passed on him six times and finally picked him the seventh time, the San Francisco 49ers. And I only mention that 
because how do you how in the world do you pass on a guy who started 48 games in a power five conference went 29 and 19 played in Austin, Texas in front of 100,000, played in Norman, Oklahoma a couple of times in front of 90,000, you know, dual Jalen Hurts in one of the great college games in recent history, 42 to 41, they lost, Uh, Iowa State lost. My, My point is, hey, look, it's hard to find these guys, but you didn't have to look very hard when it was Joe Burrow. And, and look, Brock Purdy, you know, 16 touchdowns, three interceptions since he took this job. In eight games, the dude has not fumbled the football one time. In 32 quarters, he's turned it over three times. That is why the 49ers have a chance this week. But as far as Burrow goes, I mean, he is cool hand Luke and Paulie Walnuts rolled into one. That is quite a comparison and quite a combination. What we're going to do is take a break, and then we'll pivot to the NFC Championship game, the one that gets us started on Sunday afternoon in Philadelphia, 49ers at Eagles. Can Brock Purdy in this moment rise to the occasion and play like Joe Burrow? We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. Awesome. Jason Kelsey's daughter, three years old, in her bed, singing the Eagles fight song. I boy, I hope it's not dad and uncle Travis squaring off for the same Super Bowl <laughs> ring, but it could very well be. Oh my god, what are they gonna do? A family do? issue. For the Kelsey's, my goodness. Uh, that would both be awesome and horrible at the same time. I don't know what in the world you're going to do if that happens. Look, I asked Jason uh, Kelsey, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, maybe a month ago, said, can you envision one day in on the steps of the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, you... And your brother getting gold jackets at the same time. Can you just imagine if that happens? And look, I I cannot, even though I'm one of the voters, I cannot, will not predict the future, have no idea. But I will say this. Travis Kelsey's making the Hall of Fame one day. And these last couple of years, you know, Ray Dinger, the longtime Philadelphia sports writer and and media guy who now has come out of retirement to work the playoffs uh, in Philadelphia. You know, he told me the other day on my podcast that that this is Jason Kelsey's best season. And did you see the other day this great New York Giants defensive line, you know, led by Dexter Lawrence, all pro, didn't get a sniff of Jalen Hurts. And it was the first game all year that Dexter Lawrence did not get one quarterback pressure. And and look, this Philadelphia line, and, and I know we're going to talk about it, but this Philadelphia line is a 
big roadblock for a great San Francisco front. And and that's the key, and that's the only way you got a chance against the 49ers. you got to neutralize that defensive line, which makes the rest of the defense go. When you started talking about, the, did you see, I, there's the, there's that one play where Jason Kelsey takes somebody and throws him down with one arm. It's just amazing the, the strength, the power, the ability he still has. A guy who's kind of been teetering on the edge of retirement for the past few years. And that's really the question. Will it line up for the Kelseys where they both get in at the same time? Because who knows how much longer Travis plays beyond Jason. And here is the moment. Just down you go. Just straight, just just sit down. Here it is. With the right arm and, I mean, you don't do that to a grown-ass man in the NFL. You don't do that to a guy that weighs 300 pounds. With one arm, throw him to the ground. Like, I, it's just amazing. You, rag, you don't ragdoll defensive linemen. So, uh, yeah, the Eagles' offensive line is incredible. The 49ers' defensive line is incredible. And, you know, it... <laughs> This is, I had as much difficulty trying to figure out who I think is going to win this one as I did in the AFC. The only difference is, and we talked about him before we went to break, Brock Purdy. What's he going to do in this moment? He's had two road games at Seattle on a Thursday night at Las Vegas. And they spoke this week about how they used the Seattle game as a way to prepare for what they thought was an eventual trip to Philadelphia in the NFC championship. They knew where it was tracking. They knew where it was going, but that's all he's got that and whatever they managed to do in practice, pumping in music, but you still got to walk out there and, and maybe Kyle Shanahan needs to channel Bill Walsh as you were discussing earlier to get in the right mindset, to go into that scenario. That setting, hear those fans and stay calm and poised in the moment. Brock Purdy's done nothing to make us think he won't, but he's never played in a game with these stakes in this spot. That's what's fascinating to me. What is he going to do with the season riding? Not completely on him, obviously, because they have those great weapons, but still he's got to perform or it's going to fall apart for the 49ers. Yeah, you know, look, I don't know how he's going to play, Mike, but we've said this all along that Brock Purdy hasn't done this. Uh, He hasn't faced this kind of pressure, all, all this kind of stuff. And every single week, everyone, even last week, and obviously the first half of that game, he is getting chased all over creation. And it's really difficult for him to even breathe, uh, you know, against the Dallas Cowboys. But every single week, everyone, he has responded. And he has come up, relatively speaking, big. Especially when it's absolutely needed. You know, he made two or three throws in the second half against the Cowboys that everybody's, oof. Did you see that ball? That was perfect. And and so that's why I honestly think, and I asked him after the game, I spent five, eight minutes with him after the game uh, at Levi's the other day. And I said to him, in essence, you're, you're going up against, this is quite possibly, and you played in Seattle, but this is maybe the toughest place right now to play. The invective you're going to hear, the you know, the noise, everything like that. 
Um, and, and, you know, he, he basically said, Hey, looking forward to it, blah, 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 blah. And he did remind me that he has played in Austin, Texas in front of a hundred thousand people and in Norman, Oklahoma in front of 90,000 and whatever else, as I said before, 48 starts in a power five conference, 29 and 19 and played so well and was such a difference maker that before senior day, his last home game, Mike, uh, the head coach at Iowa State, Matt Campbell, read to his team and passed out a poem called The Bridge Builder. And I asked him why. I talked to Matt Campbell last week. I asked him why, and he goes, because Brock Purdy built a bridge for this program from where we're struggling all the time to, to try to make something happen to a program that we know we can be in the top 20 consistently. And that was one person who did that. And it was Brock Purdy. So, and again, I'm not saying all that makes a hill of beans difference really when he's got a relentless pass rush coming after him on Sunday. It might not mean a lot. I can just tell you that he's not going to be scared. Well, and, I looked up his date of birth, December 27, 1999, which number one makes me feel really old. But number two, it just it makes me think of how at age 23, any of us would process this moment. And I think the biggest challenge this week is to refrain from thinking about what this means for his football career, what pulling this off would accomplish if he wins this game. There's no Tom Brady talk next year in San Francisco. Trey Lance isn't the starter next year. Now, look, he could have a six-turnover meltdown in the Super Bowl, which could cause the 49ers to reassess. But you propel this team to the Super Bowl when you basically were thrust into action, not basically you were, and you won every single game, you're setting yourself up to be an NFL quarterback for years to come. It's all, you know, and it's it's hard not to think about that if you're 23, but maybe that's part of the the beauty of being oblivious, of being young, of not thinking about it, just going out and doing it. And that's what he's done. He's just gone out and done it. So don't change a thing, but the stakes are higher. It's Philadelphia. The defense is as good as any as they faced all year. And you know, the other side of the coin, Peter, uh, the the the, the yeah, the, the the Eagles offense uh, and the 49ers defense, because that's really the key. How many points does Brock Purdy need to engineer? How many points can the 49ers defense keep the Eagles from scoring? What do you think the biggest challenge for the San Francisco defense is going to be against the Philadelphia offense? I think it's going to be to monitor Jalen Hurts and to make sure that his legs do not beat them because he's going to make some great throws in this game. Mike, did you see last week, and look, <clears throat> he told me after the game, without any question, you can just tell that he absolutely unequivocally, he's not whole, he's not in perfect health, his arm doesn't feel great. He told me after the game, I said, that throw you made, 45 yards in the air, 40 yards to Devontae Smith, absolutely perfect right on target on the second play of the game and and we were talking about it after the game and and i said how many times have you made a throw like that like that deep in practice since you hurt your shoulder he goes i haven't i said zero throws 
to the to this point that you've thrown really downfield, not just you know dump offs or intermediate. No, I have not made one of those throws. What did you prove to yourself? Well, you know, nothing. I knew I could do it, all that stuff. But Mike, he is not, his arm isn't perfect. But just look, he hadn't made that throw in six or seven weeks. And he made the throw and it was perfect. So my only point is, he's going to make some great throws in this game. And he has two outstanding wide receivers and an excellent tight end, you know, in Dallas Goddard. And so he's going to make some throws. The question is, is this linebacker group, you know, Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw especially, are they going to be able to basically keep him from, you know, converting four third downs with his legs? That is going to be a huge factor in this game. Absolutely, and it will be a great one, hopefully. Both will be great games, hopefully. The Jets hope to eventually play in a conference championship game. Toward that end, they have hired a new offensive coordinator. Does that mean they soon will have a new quarterback? We'll discuss that when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner... Within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Do summer projects your way with Memorial Day savings from The Home Depot. With free delivery on over 2 million items, you can make the most of summer grilling and dig into gardening. Plus, get same-day delivery on thousands of products like power tools and storage to tackle any last-minute garage project. Summer your way with Memorial Day savings from The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hack has been uh, a really important part of our culture change and a part of uh, our success on offense. I love him. Hope he doesn't go anywhere. Unless I do. That's Aaron Rodgers just from November 2020. He's aging like a president the past couple of years. Good God. Nathaniel Hackett. Now the offensive coordinator of the New York Jets after one year, not even one year, most of one year as the head coach of the Denver Broncos. Fired after a 4-11 start. Hackett worked with Robert Sala in Jacksonville in 2016. Hackett does have experience calling plays before he became head coach of the Broncos. Not in Green Bay, but he called plays in places like Jacksonville. And Peter, one thing I noticed yesterday, 
And I heard from some of the reporters who were getting these communications. The Jets were working overtime to spin their narrative about Hackett and what went wrong in Denver and how it's not his fault and how he's still a great offensive coach and yada, yada, yada. The easiest explanation is some coordinators just don't make for good coaches. And that doesn't mean he's a bad coordinator. We've seen it time and again. We've seen coordinators who have been so good, they get a head coaching job, they get fired, they go back to being good coordinators, it sets them up for a head coaching job, they get fired, they go back to being good coordinators, and they get another head coaching job. Sometimes you're just better off as a coordinator, and that may be exactly what the Jets need. You know, the great thing about when you, you, know, when you investigate Paul Hackett, you understand that players really like the way he teaches. They like learning from him. They like his meetings. You can't say that about every coach in the NFL. One of the reasons that everybody has always liked the way he teaches is that he has employed, he did in Denver, uh, a basically, and this sounds crazy, but like a learning specialist and a guy who can teach coaches how to teach players and you know players took advantage of this guy and and coaches took advantage of this guy and he just is a really smart person in getting his point across so what happened in Denver and why didn't it work in Denver um i think it's some combination between uh Russell Wilson just literally hitting a wall uh no figuratively hitting a wall, excuse me, the writer. Um, And also, I think it snowballed because uh, he had such a difficult time actually coaching and figuring out all the different things that go into being a head coach and mastering them. He could master teaching an offense to a team, but he couldn't master all the problems that you have to solve when you're actually the head coach of a team. That's kind of how I look at it and why I would not be afraid if I were Robert Sala of hiring this guy and everybody thinking, oh my God, this guy's a clown. I wouldn't think that at all because the difference between coaching an offense and coaching a team can be gargantuan. Absolutely. I was talking to somebody about this last night. Some of the coaches who were coordinators want to go in their office, close the door, and scheme, 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 scheme all day long. A good head coach is a leader. A good head coach knows how to communicate effectively with everyone, individually and collectively, because you have to have a different style for all your different players. That was one of Jimmy Johnson's things. One guy responds one way. Another guy responds a different way. you got to know what gets them to respond. you got to do it directly and then you got to be able to take over the room that's why dan campbell's doing so well with the lions let somebody else worry about the x's and o's he's the guy who's getting his guys ready to literally and figuratively run into and through the wall that's what's important and that's why it's such a different job and these owners one of the things that that i love and hate about this business and i think i love it more than hate it the owners don't know what the hell they're looking for So they hire these guys without considering the bigger picture. What kind of a leader is he going to be in the locker room? And it just didn't work for Hackett. And it was clear in that storm of activity, he couldn't process fast enough. He couldn't do it. He didn't look the part. He didn't act the part. But he could be a very good coordinator. That's all that matters for the Jets. So I just thought it was kind of weird that they were trying to push this narrative, that there was some sort of a 
the power play or this or that. It just didn't work, and that's okay. It doesn't work for a lot of coordinators. That doesn't make them bad coordinators. Now, what also makes a coordinator a pretty good coordinator is having a pretty good quarterback. Robert Sala, coach of the Jets, was asked yesterday whether he has laid out a plan at the quarterback position for a new offense under Nathaniel Hackett. Here's what Sala had to say. The quarterback position, obviously, with all the different interviews, were was the number one concern, uh, and rightfully so. And it was it was simple. We're committed to, to finding a veteran. Uh, we didn't get into names. Uh, um, I, I doubt that he's even studied. Uh, he hasn't studied those guys yet, which he's going to uh, start uh, next week. But um, but we didn't get into specifics on names. But it was it was uh, talked about that we do plan on bringing a veteran quarterback if we can. Uh, we do want to continue working with Zach and. Uh, um, and continue to develop him. Well, there's one that Nathaniel Hackett doesn't need to study. Actually, two, Aaron Rodgers and Blake Bortles. We don't have to worry about Blake Bortles. Aaron Rodgers is going to be the center of the speculation and discussion. And, Peter, I firmly believe that last year Nathaniel Hackett became the coach of the Broncos with an expectation that they were getting Aaron Rodgers. It was the same day that Rodgers told the Packers he was coming back that the Broncos made it clear they were trading for Russell Wilson. Not before and not two weeks later, the same day, one led to the other. And I know the Broncos would say that it's coincidental. There are no coincidences. I think he thought he was getting Rodgers last year, and now we're going to spend the next several weeks wondering whether or not he's going to get Rodgers this year. That's a number one target and topic for the Jets, I believe, if they can get him, and if he even wants to play there. We don't know that he wants to play there. The first question he has to resolve is whether he wants to play at all. You know, Mike, uh, being in New York, things tend to get exaggerated. So uh, the back page of the New York Post (laughs) on Thursday and this morning was both Aaron Rodgers. And it was, you know... (laughs) The first, on Thursday, it was, hey, what are the chances we can get Aaron Rodgers? And today it was like, oh, we got, we got Nathaniel Hackett. Let's go get Aaron Rodgers. And, and I think that is, from anybody who's a big Jets fan, Mike, that's what you want to hear right now. You want to hear that Woody Johnson is willing to bite the bullet. And, and look, you pointed it out in your, in your, uh, it, at Pro Football Talk this week. I wrote about it in my column on Monday. It's a very, very interesting thing if you want to get Aaron Rodgers because obviously the compensation to get him from the Packers is one thing. And that could be as much as, you know, a first and something. Who knows? I doubt it's going to be two ones, but it could be a first and something. You just don't know. Or it could be, uh, you know, basically you know, a a lower pick now and then based on what he does, um, you know, depending on what he does as a Jet. But be all that as it may, the point is, in the next two years combined, his cap figure with the team that acquires him would be a combined $48.3 million. That's less than the current 2023 cap number of Dak Prescott for the Dallas Cowboys. So what I'm saying is it is a manageable thing. If you're willing to take on a bunch of money on the back end when he might be retired, okay, 
And if he can, if, if Aaron Rodgers will assure the New York Jets that I'm going to give you at least two years, if he assures you that right now, if he doesn't assure you, I'm not sure I would, I would bite the bullet. But if he can assure you that, I would love that for two reasons, Mike. Number one, Zach Wilson semi-idolizes uh, Aaron Rodgers. That's the guy as a veteran quarterback who he has looked up to during his career. So if you want to try to save Zach Wilson, you know, bring in a guy who he really, really looks up to and let him work with him for a year or two. That's number one. And number two, look, Woody Johnson knows that this franchise, other than 11 games with Brett Favre in 2008, has not had a great quarterback in a, in a half century. Has not had a great quarterback since Joe Namath played for him. So that's one of the big reasons why right now, I think he's saying, hey, look, I've given 94 general managers the opportunity to draft 120 quarterbacks high in the draft. I'm sick of it. I want to just add water great quarterback. If this guy tells us he'll give us two years, we're going to get him. Now, Mike, I know I have zero inside knowledge. I don't know anything about this. I'm just telling you, if I were Woody Johnson, I'd say to Joe Douglas, this is what we're doing. Couple of real quick points, and then we have to take a break. Number one, Rogers had some interesting comments this week about Big Pharma being behind this media campaign to villainize him, and Woody Johnson is the heir to the Johnson and Johnson Big Pharma fortune. <laughs> Number two, even with those cap numbers you cited, fifty-eight point three million gets paid to Rogers this year. Number three, the trade compensation could get a little dicey, but Rodgers has far more power than Brett Favre had back in 2008 because the Packers could just sit back oh, yeah. and say, fine, you're on the books for $12 million. We have more than a ca- enough cap space to avoid it. We control this process. I think Rodgers has more control than Favre had. And finally, before we go to break, the beautiful tweet from our good friend and my Internet son, PFT commenter, given that Rodgers to the Jets would track the Brett Favre career arc. What he said was, Rodgers to the Jets confirmed yesterday after Nathaniel Hackett news. Then Rodgers to the Vikings confirmed. Then Rodgers defrauding the state of Mississippi and doing Copperfit commercials confirmed. So it all continues. (laughs) The parallels between Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. Let's take a break. Dan Quinn staying put in Dallas. What does it mean for the Cowboys? We'll discuss that next year on PFT Live. Dan Quinn Stank put in Dallas as the defensive coordinator of the Cowboys. I suggested yesterday that he only did that because he knew he wasn't going to get one of those jobs. I was told by someone in the know, not so. Could have had one of the jobs. Decided to stay in Dallas. I was told to read between the lines. I don't know what that means. I'm still trying to read between the lines. But it very well could be that Dan Quinn becomes the successor at some point to Mike McCarthy if things continue the way they have. 12 win seasons. Pretty good two straight years. It's gotten six assistant coaches fired, unfortunately, for them. But uh, I think that that was a consideration of maybe some dead weight that they want to shed as they continue to try to go next level. But the bottom line is Quinn is back at least for another year, deciding not to pursue the head coaching vacancies that uh, he interviewed for last week, Peter. Here's the quote from Mike McCarthy yesterday 
in announcing that Dan Quinn was uh, going to stay. Someone asked him yesterday about, uh, you know, his conversations with Jerry Jones this week in the wake of the disappointing loss at San Francisco with a fairly debacle ending. This is Mike McCarthy, and I quote, He told me a number of times this week that he wants me to coach here as long as Coach Landry did. I said, okay, that's a long time. So it doesn't sound like that he that Jerry Jones would simultaneously be throwing out any breadcrumbs on a trail that Dan Quinn will be the head coach as soon as we can get rid of Mike McCarthy. And again, I'm being crass there. But what I mean is I doubt, I, I shouldn't say that, I don't know. But I felt the exact same way as you did, Mike. If And again, it could be that Dan Quinn might have had a chance at job X, which he thought was going to be instant failure, whatever job X would be. Maybe Arizona, who, who knows? Who knows? But I, I find it hard to believe that you spend hours in a short week interviewing for two head coaching jobs and then right after the uh right after the playoff game that you, when you're eliminated you know 2 days later 3 days later you say oh i'm i'm getting out of this i i'm not involved in any of these jobs anymore and look i i don't we probably are not going to know the real truth about this but i'm skeptical that you know anybody who would say oh yeah he could have gotten one of these jobs i mean why do you spend time in a short week interviewing hours, hours, Mike? I was told that the Indianapolis interview with Dan Quinn took more than five hours. If last Friday, wow. if that's the case, you know, just explain to me why all of a sudden at the end of the season, he just says, whoop, not interested anymore. I'm staying in Dallas. Unless he got an incredible golden handshake from Jerry Jones, which is possible because Josh McDaniels got one to stay in New England, uh, I, I would I have the same suspicions you have. Now, I agree with everything you're saying. As it relates to Jerry Jones and his position, he wants Mike McCarthy to coach there as long as Tom Landry did. Mike McCarthy would have to coach every year until he's 85 to coach as long as Tom Landry did. <laughs> Second, Jerry Jones. One, one thing I've learned over the last 20 years, Jerry Jones reserves the right to completely contradict himself at any time. And finally, maybe what, maybe what Jones meant was, I want McCarthy to coach as long as Landry did after I bought the team, which was no games at all. We'll find out. We've got to take a break. Show me which something is 10 next minutes. year on PFT Live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We are the loudest stadium in the world on record. 42, 142 decibels. Did you guys break the record this week? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe uh, we're going to have to break it this week because uh, a lot of Cincinnati Bengals fans are calling it Burrowhead instead of Burrowhead. Arrowhead. Whoa! Yeah. No, the disrespect, one, the Arrowhead they're, they're, continues. They're throwing, they're, throwing, they're throwing a lot of bulletin board material out there, man. They may not both make it to the Hall of Fame. 
pro football style. They could both make it to the Eyebrow Hall of Fame, though, especially Jason Kelsey. That's an impressive <laughs> of hair residing above his eye sockets. Uh, all right, that's, Jay, that's that's awesome. I love that. I think it's a great look. I would never trim those babies down. Uh, looks like a, cat, a couple of caterpillars trying to decide whether to fight or mate, frankly. Okay, so it's show me something for conference championship weekend. Peter, you're up first. All right. Hey, Mike, uh, show me something, D'Amico Ryans, San Francisco defensive coordinator. You know, two weeks ago when the New York Giants went into Minnesota and beat the Vikings, Leonard Williams, Kayvon Thibodeau, and Dexter Lawrence combined for 17 pressures, hits, or sacks on Kirk Cousins. Last week, playing against the great Philadelphia offensive line, the best offensive line in football, uh, they had a total of four pressures and never touched the quarterback, Jalen Hurts. So show me something, uh, you know, right now in this game. I want to see some pressure on the quarterback from the San Francisco defensive front. So show me something, all you Niners including the defensive coordinator, get to Jalen Hurts and bug him against this great offensive line. Show me something, Chris Jones. When the Bengals and the Chiefs played back in week 13, Jones was not the wrecking crew that he usually is. Now, this time around, 60% of the offensive line is gone for the Cincinnati Bengals. And that line did a great job neutralizing the Bills' pass rush last week, but they don't have a Chris Jones. If you want to disrupt Joe Burrow, if you want to keep Joe Burrow from doing what he did last year, beating you in Arrowhead slash Burrowhead, it's going to take a great performance from Chris Jones. And in theory, he should be able to do it against that depleted offensive line. In theory, goes away come Sunday night. It's time to go out and do it. If the Chiefs want to finally beat the Bengals, Chris Jones needs to have a big night. So show us something Sunday night, Chris Jones. Show me something, Jackson Carmen. And look, he showed the world something last week. His first game ever at left, ta- at left tackle. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals were the beneficiary, beneficiaries. Uh, Jackson Carmen played fantastic in this game. And now for his reward, what does he have? He has a great right side of the Kansas City defensive line, including Chris Jones, including Frank Clark. The state-of-the-art right side of any defensive line in football Show me something, Jackson Carmen. Show me a rerun of what you did last week in Buffalo. You've already selected one of the defensive coordinators from the NFC Championship. I'll go with the other. Show me something, Jonathan Gannon. From time to time, gets a little criticism from the Eagles fans. Spoiler alert, they criticize everyone from time to time. He's a candidate for the Texans head coaching job for the second straight year. And he's tasked with figuring out how to deploy his 11 players to deal with Christian McCaffrey, to deal with Debo Samuel, to deal with George Kittle, and to rattle Brock 
Purdy. If anybody's going to shake up Purdy, it's going to be this Eagles defense where they've got the rotation of pass rushers. They can try to get past that offensive line, try to get to Purdy, disrupt the running game. It is going to be a challenge. Kyle Shanahan likes to put you on your heels, attack, 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 and make it easier to pass the ball. They need to flip it around. They need to put the 49ers offense on their heels. They need to disrupt those easy runs. They need to be able to clog the lanes where Brock Purdy's going to try to throw the ball, and it's all on Jonathan Gannon. If he wants that head coaching job in Houston, this would be a great way to impress Cal McNair with what he's able to do on Sunday against the San Francisco offense. So show me something, Jonathan Gannon. We're going to take a quick break. Round three of the Show Me Something draft for Conference Championship Weekend when we wrap up this Friday edition of PFT Live right after this. All right, there are the first two rounds of the Show Me Something Drive for Conference Championship Weekend. Peter King, you're on the clock for round three. Show me something, Brock Purdy. You've already shown me a lot. Three turnovers in 32 quarters. Who does that in his first 32 quarters where the team is saying, you're the man? I don't know who does that. I don't know that anybody in history has ever done that. But he's done it, and now he gets to go into Philadelphia, and he gets to play in front of a very, very difficult environment. And what's more, Mike, last week, 12, uh, minimum of 12 snaps for eight guys on the Philadelphia defensive front. That's how many that Brock Purdy is going to see cycle in and out of there. Eight guys consistently. And what happens when you have a breath... time to breathe as a defensive lineman, you get a chance to have a sack in the fourth quarter, which 35-year-old Brandon Graham did against Daniel Jones last week. So they better be ready for a lot of fresh legs cycling through. Show me something, Brock Purdy. Show me that you can take that defensive front on Sunday. Show me something, Eli Apple. The Bengals cornerback showed us plenty on Twitter in the aftermath of Cincinnati's win over the Buffalo Bills. And I understand that to the victor goes the spoils. But Eli Apple was a little over the top in rubbing the Bills' face in it. And that's going to put a little bit of a target on him from those Kansas City receivers. Even though he wasn't talking to them, they're going to want to shut him up. And they're going to want to target him. And they're going to want to expose him. So he has written a check for himself in this game. And he'd better live up to it or the Bengals are going to have a hard time slowing down the Chiefs. All right, Peter, before we go, who do you got winning this week? And I'll tell you right now, I've already picked the Bengals 30-27 in overtime and the Eagles 24-23. I hate to be boring, but, Mike, I'm going to take your two teams, one on the road, one home, and just, just to let you know, I won't be surprised if I'm wrong on both counts. Me either. I think we're going to end up, because we both believe in the Bengals and the Eagles, we're going to have a rematch of 49ers Chiefs from Super Bowl 54. (laughs) We'll see you Monday to break down the games. Enjoy both of them, and thanks for some of your time. Have a great day. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it, between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. 
That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.